19 uh well now 18 uh 18 minutes before 9 p.m and uh this evening uh we uh, catch up uh, with the uh official opposition in south africa now they had an opportunity over the weekend uh, to review their values principles as well as to debate some of their socio-economic policies ahead of the federal congress which is set for next month and uh da's head of policy gwen gwenya uh, was uh uh, saying over the weekend that uh, the policy stance of the DA was aimed at creating uh, empowerment and economic policies for the countries that were informed by non-racialism and the need to address the challenge of economic exclusion uh, without uh, maybe overemphasizing race. And I'm joined uh, to maybe unpack what this means by Rafael Luenzeke, who's the national spokesperson of the Democratic Alliance. Rafael, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, Abonga, and good evening to the Metro FM listeners. Rufilo, maybe I want us to start here. I think, uh, you know, it might make for a good starting point. Uh, just some of these uh, uh, debates around redress. Uh, I mean, w- the function of the weekend was, I guess, to clarify and to uh, at least get some uh, um, coherence around the debates uh, uh, on economic policy here. But a big part of that has, has been a critique that the DA has had of BE, of affirmative action. Uh, and rightfully so, you've critiqued and said it's been an elite project, it's benefited a narrow politically connected few. Uh, but uh, in your view, what you're suggesting is that uh, as a way to maybe move away from that, uh, you would probably prioritize the SDGs rather than prioritize race. Um, you know, I think it's important that we must understand where the DA is coming from. One, we've mm. made a concerted decision that we are not going to deal with addressing policy by criticizing ANC and BE. We know it failed completely. Two, we also recognize the injustices that were caused by apartheid as a, as an, as a system to this country. So when you come to a policy p- platform and determine platform, um, policy, you need to fundamentally look at what are you trying to address. And what we say we need to address is economic exclusion of South Africans. And when you look at economic exclusion, then you realize that you then have to look at what are the definitions of economic exclusion for the people that are excluded in the economy. And that's where we started from. Mm-hmm. And, and and when you start off on that basis, I mean, it, it certainly has to be informed by a certain understanding of the historical context. I mean, your view is that you, yes, acknowledge that race-based policies for, you know, the bulk of, I guess, the economic history of this country have been a critical feature of life. Uh, but you're saying that, you know, we don't need, I guess, other forms of demographic redress or policies framed around that to be able to respond to that. I mean, I, I'm battling to understand that. Maybe explain to me how... Uh, if people are in an advantaged or a disadvantaged position by virtue of group politics that frame their race as a lens through which they can access economic opportunity or not, how not using that is is seen maybe as something that should not be suitable? You see, for me, the best way to explain it is to use an example. To frame it on the basis of race alone is inadequate while we recognize the importance of race. Say, for example, Ayabonga stays in a suburb. Rufilo stays in an informal settlement. Mm. My reasons for economic exclusion are completely different from yours. If I look at my situation in an informal settlement, I have no running water. I have no sanitation. Access to education is in a Quantal one school where my child probably has to go in a school feeding program. I am not on medical aid. I probably go to Tembisa Hospital 
for my, my health care. Ayabonga mm. says in the suburb, as a black person, he's on a medical aid. He lives in a, is a middle-income black person. We cannot address your social exclusion the same way you'll address mine. So, so, so to Rufilwe, find these just principles... So, yes, yes, let's yes, move together with the analogy because I like the analogy. Let's move together with the analogy. Yeah. The analogy presupposes that there has been the creation of a big enough critical mass of black people in key ownership functions where economic decisions are made, enough for us to no longer conflate race and class in South Africa. Is that the assessment of the DA? Is the assessment that we've had enough black people filtering into top positions, decision-making uh, positions, and uh, having control over the levers and the productive forces in society, enough for us to jettison race as a... Wait, let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. You can, you can answer, but, but can I finish the question? Okay. Enough for us to jettison race as a category uh, that marks people for certain kind of economic opportunity or lack thereof. Okay. Thanks for your question, Ayabonga. I think the word is enough is not a fair question because when you start framing it on the basis of enough, in your context of enough, it's going to be something else. In my context of enough, it's going to be a different thing. But when you consult economic literature around South Africa, there's a lot of, a lot of black people who've moved into middle income and higher income. So to classify people only on the basis of race is not doing justice because those people are not only defined by race. They are, defined, they are also defined by income. Ayabonga, in the same analogy I'm using, is possibly not on a SASA grant. Refile in the informal settlement, in the example I'm using, is on a SASA grant. How do you then get Refile to become economically included in the economy so that I'm not dependent on the state? I'm now at the level that Ayabonga is at or even higher. So we need to redress all those things and come up but, with but solutions see, Rufilia, that address Rufilia. all those things. Okay. So, so, so this, is why, this is why I was trying to at least get, you, get to finish my question. Because I, I, I don't think what I'm debating here are the extremes. I'm not debating Ayabonga who's sitting here behind a microphone uh, with a certain kind of background. That's not what I'm debating. But what I'm debating at the end of the day is that apartheid was a group system. In as much as white Absolutely. people had poor whites... And that we recognize... Wait, Yes, in as much as there were poor white people who didn't benefit from the National Party largesse, in the main, white people were the main beneficiaries of a party. Now, if you look at some of the data you're referring to, the Commission of Employment Equity shows us that there's been really a marginal change, in some cases not even uh, uh, catching up with the population growth rates, in the demographic of, in particular, black women and black people in general, filtering into senior management functions, top management roles, uh, and, and, uh, and the professions in our country. Now, the question I'm asking is not necessarily what is enough for me and what is enough for you. The question I'm asking is, can we safely assume that that demographic-based policy has done its work enough for us to say, let's now look for a different category and maybe class is a better category? I think, no, we're not even calling it class. Let's talk, let's talk about economic indicators that will then say, how do we move people into economic inclusion? Because mm. by just looking at race, we are actually making it a minimalistic way of defining people. When there's so many other criteria for looking at what keeps these people, and I'm talking people in general here, out of economic inclusion. And when you go, when you take it further, that's where you must look at where do you get your health care from? What's your sanitation like? 
because you need to then formulate policy looking at your premise. You can't just formulate pro- pro- policy just on race because that's not okay. enough. And we can okay. see that when you formulate it only on the basis of race, you'll end up with a BEE, which has failed South Africans because we, I don't even want to go into the reasons why BEE has failed South Africans at their level of empowering the selected mm. few and leaving out millions of South Africans still in, and in being excluded from economic. Sure. So okay. we need to now look at, and it's important what the DA wants to do is be clear. We are not going to be working on the ANC frame of looking at economy. We want to cre- we are creating our own narrative, mm. our own you don't see race. of how sorry? You don't see race. No, I said I we do see race. You see that's the difference. When we okay. talk about seeing race, I'm saying it's not sufficient. You can look at race and then say what other factors are there. That's why I was using the example of a refile who is in an informal settlement and then maybe an ayabonga who stays in a suburb to say mm. there's no two black people. But the needs but, but to get economically yeah. included are different from your needs to be sure. economically included. So, so refile. Can I, can I maybe mention something yes, here, which I think intuitively for me is very difficult, and maybe you can help me here uh, as a you know, prospective, I guess, voter. I'm trying to understand yeah. how we dislocate some of the things you're talking about. So you're saying from an identity perspective, there are many other markers of one station in life that you could be considering in how you create policy. I accept that premise as a starting point. But then the next phase okay. of that premise is the suggestion that all of those markers stand distinct and independent of race. And we know that they could theoretically do so, but in the history and political economy of South Africa, they don't. In the main, it's black people who have been relegated to the margins and having to live uh, you know, uh, in the townships where you have the worst sanitation, worst roads, worst infrastructure, and everything else that you can think of. Is it not then maybe a, a play on semantics when we say, we'll only target policy at people who don't have water near 200 meters from their home, and then when you run the numbers, you find that 98.5% or, or nearly 100% of those people happen to be black. What, what so much scares you about saying the word black? There's nothing that scares me. You see, this is what I love about what you say. In reality, mm. without having to use the word black, by definition, you know that when I'm talking about people in an informal settlement, we're already addressing probably, let's call it 80-90% mm. of black South Africans. They so will why be not use in that the word? category. We are not ashamed to use the word, but we are saying, let's use indicators that then talk to economic exclusion, like okay. spatial so, inequality. So we can say black workers, we can say black because poor, when you we went, can, you know? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with saying black, black poor, but what is black poor? You see, it's I would rather person. you say to me, yes, but... Let me also finish, Ayabonga. Okay, if sure, we sorry. say spatial mm. inequality, we can say people who have been excluded from inequality based on where they live, far from transport. Are you with me? Then you are mm. not only taking... Remember in this country, it's not only black people. If you take the likes of other, like Northern Cape, there's colored people who also have spatial but inequality. But colored people are black. Why am I, Ayabonga, but if you look at the, the political definitions of race, you are you 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 but have black, black, colored Indian and white. Ayabonga, yeah, but black. No, 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 no. Wait, Mama. Wait, wait, wait. There's Africans, coloreds, and Indians who are all black. That that's how the population register works. Africans, coloreds, Indians, black. Okay, 
let's talk about yes, spatial yes, yes, inequality. Yeah. If you're talking okay. to spatial inequality, the reality of what you'll be getting out of that makes it is predominantly black people. So you look at all the criteria that we are framing and say, we don't want to play in the same space with the ANC. It is not our space. We want to define our economic justice policy sure, on the sure. basis of looking at far more adequate definitions that talk to what is economic exclusion. Mm, and then okay. how do we then come up with solutions to that? That is the crux of what the DA is coming up with. Sure, because sure. of the new way of framing things, I think it's becoming difficult for people to wrap their, themselves around this narrative. Sure. Of what is then become economic exclusion? And I'm using an example of spatial inequality as one. That's why okay. I, came, I, I will still go back to the example of saying yes. one, a black person in an informal settlement versus a black person in a suburb. The needs of the per- black person in an informal settlement, we know that that person is sure, more economically sure. excluded. And how do we define the exclusion? There's health exclusion, there's education exclusion, there's spatial sure. exclusion, sanitation exclusion. Then from there, you formulate the responses or solutions to address mm. those exclusions for that person. Okay. All right. And I guess, I mean, Rafilio, certainly from, from how you've positioned that, one would think that the beneficiaries of that or, or the people who would stand to benefit the most from that would be overwhelmingly black, as, as defined by Africans, Absolutely. Indians and colors. But I want us, I want us Rafilio, to also take a look at some of the macro policy uh, so that we don't uh, stick on this particular issue because it'll take all of our time. Let's come to some of the macroeconomic debates. Um, I think there's a few areas where a lot of people would agree with you. You want to privatize SA and ESCOM. Uh, you want wage freezes for public servants. You want fiscal rules uh, to ensure debt sustainability. You want the repeal of the Protection of Investment Act. Um, but I think where a lot of people might maybe have a bit, a bit more of a debate is around this idea of a job seeker's exemption certificate. You're saying to people, you would issue a certificate if you were a DA government to people where they go to an employer and say, I'm willing to work at any wage. That sounds like uh, passes slash lodges permits type stuff. Maybe explain to me sort of why, why, why that approach. I think if you think about it from the perspective of a free market economy, let's look at it this way. If you are an employer with 10, with 10 rent, where you would be able to hire 10 people because the, the market will dictate how many people you can employ, you are now saying, if I'm looking at this 10 rent and employing 10 people, if you give me a, a minimum that I have to work within, and remember, we've always said as the DA, certain sectors should have minimum wage, but I'm talking now on a general level. So on the national minimum on that wage, that, that's your issue. Yeah, at yeah. least, yeah, no, I, I don't want mm. to go into that debate because I think it's a different conversation, and I think you might be limited No, but time. I mean, it's the same debate. It, it's the same debate. Yeah, yeah. Okay, carry on. Yeah, but I'm saying, if you have 10 rent, we are saying, let everybody at least have a slice of bread, which is maybe the one red, and then you've got 10 people employed, versus them saying, I'm going to only take two rents because this is what is what I have to pay as a person. Then you've got five people employed, but they're actually doing the work of the 10 people. Mm. This okay, is but, the but, way but that Rafilwe, we're saying. And Rafilwe, over time, when the, Rafilwe, when the business prospers, then, can I finish my argument here okay, as sure, well, sure. Ayaboka? Yeah. As the business prospers, then more people can get into the business and the people can also get increases in salary until they get to higher wages. Sorry, I'll take your question now. Okay, so it's a very brief one. 
the first, the last point that you just made is is the sense that you can take a job for two rand for now, but as the business grows, uh, you know all in this case all uh, all ships benefit from a rising tide and then there'll be an improvement of some of those wages uh, we certainly haven't seen that in the south african economy and maybe uh, that's a debate for another day but the reason why i say this is linked to the national minimum wage is largely because my understanding is that at least there should be some societal agreement around saying there are wages beneath which people should not work that wages beneath that are seen as something that is akin to slavery what you're suggesting is that we should have a very puritanical free market where people can be able to offer even their labor for anything close to for free, uh, just so long that they can get into work. And I'm, and I'm trying to understand that. In the no. context Remember of an economy, so, no, no, sorry. And maybe in a context of an economy where many people have opted out of the labor market, discouraged from looking for work. No, I want to take you back. When the issue of minimum wage was tabled in parliament, remember what the DA position was, was if we don't, blanketly say we accept minimum wage, we said certain, eco- certain sectors, industries, should be prescribing to minimum wages. And then the certain sectors, we must allow the market to de- determine their own wages. Sorry, please say that again. We, remember we said you must have sectorial-based minimum wages. but you can't Which is the like, system we had before, like, right? Yeah. You can't blanketly apply minimum wages in every single sector. Why? Because why, then why you kill some of those. The affordability also is a component that comes into it. But, but okay, all right. So, so, so I mean, I guess, I guess the, the, the issue at play, uh, uh, and maybe we can have a conversation about this uh, some other time. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. But I want to maybe bring you in just on another issue that you raised here, which I found very interesting. Uh, and briefly, over the next minute or so, Emergency solar rebates. I found that quite interesting where you're trying to incentivize households to go uh, potentially off-grid and maybe sell back some of, some of that or get rebates uh, uh, on the part of ESCOM. Some of your thoughts on that? Yes, what we, we've always been advocating one for that, emergency solar rebates, so that we can have more people producing energy. Two, we've also said we must bring independent power producers because you cannot have ESCOM having the monopoly of producing electricity, especially when you see that infrastructure such as Midubin Kusile has failed to be completed and we're sitting with load shedding or rolling blackouts as we, as we see even yesterday in Kempton Park here where I stay. So once you allow people to produce their own power, whether it's solar or whether it's water-based or windmill-based, at least they must be given rebate for contributing to energy into the economy, into back into the grid. Mm, okay. All right. Rafilwe, we'll have to leave it there. And uh, uh, certainly uh, not the last time we're having this conversation. And I certainly hope uh, we can pick it up again over the next few days or so. But thank you very much for taking time out to speak to us. Thank you so much for having me, Abonga. Have a lovely evening. Sure, you too. Take care. Rafilo Nseke speaking to us there. She's the national spokesperson of the Democratic Alliance. Do let me know what some of your thoughts are on that part.